Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed in medical school. And now here's your host, Patrick Beeman. Two things I want to mention to you before we launch into today's interview with the team from Osmosis. First is the ongoing contest we have with Doximity in conjunction with our Match Smarter series, where we've been interviewing residents and program directors from top institutions to give you advice on how to match smarter. You can enter the contest by going to docs.im, that's D-O-X dot I-M slash inside the boards, or head over to today's show notes page, insidetheboards.com slash episode 013. Complete your Doximity profile by December 30th, and you will be entered to win that $100 Amazon gift card. And of course, stay tuned to our upcoming Match Smarter shows, where we are featuring specialty-specific interviews for those on the residency interview trail, as well as more generally for those who are thinking about what they want to be when they grow up but haven't quite made the decision yet. Those upcoming episodes are also the ones that uh, feature the question dissections, which I myself or with others are doing for specialty-specific content. We're using actually Osmosis's multiple-choice practice questions for the boards, so you can get even more great Osmosis content by listening to this show. And the second thing is, in conjunction with today's episode, Osmosis has offered six months of premium access to their platform for one listener, who leaves a review of the show on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and sends the screenshot to info at insidetheboards.com. What is Osmosis? Osmosis is a personalized learning platform that essentially manages med school for you. Osmosis's web and mobile application makes medical education more efficient by consolidating the best available educational content, like videos, and there are tons of them and they're great, practice questions, over 5,000, and articles into a single learning environment 
It provides tools for students to write, share, and curate their own practice questions and content. So there's a kind of a social aspect. You can form a group with people from your school to increase your study efficiency and those joint study sessions. And it uses advanced learning science, which you'll learn a little more about here in a moment, uh, to deliver this content so that students absorb, retain, and employ what they've learned as easily as possible. What's really unique about Osmosis is the ability, especially for you first and second years, to upload your PowerPoints or lecture notes to the Osmosis platform. It will then scan it and pull relevant content from their database and integrations so that when you do go to study, you've got high quality material to support what you're learning in a multitude of different media. So no matter what your learning style, Osmosis can help you learn. Master your preclinical or clinical material. Manage the resources that you use to study by organizing your lecture slides, practice questions, outside references like first aid, Wikipedia, yes, Pathoma, and UWorld. Save time by providing an efficient, repeatable study plan and protecting against the cram and forget cycle. And then Anchor and contextualize the basic science you're learning using relevant and engaging content to help you remember. And a little bit more about this in the interview, but let's just say this has to do with celebrities. And that might not sound like it makes a lot of sense, but trust me, it does. And you'll see why later in the show. Develop optimal study habits based on cognitive science and improve your long-term recall with osmosis using spaced repetition and test-enhanced learning so that you can remember the content for test day and when you go to practice medicine on your own or supervised as a resident, of course. Don't study it. Osmosis, it, right? What a great tagline. So, We'll launch into the interview now. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast. Today we have two guests, Ryan Haynes and Rishi Desai from Osmosis, which is the personalized learning platform that integrates pretty much everything, videos, questions, flashcards, notes, you name it, to um, apply it to your study and help you succeed on your exams and within med school, and most importantly, to help your patients. Osmosis is sort of like the Netflix of educational resources, and I'm sure uh, these gentlemen will kind of uh, give us a better overview and some particularities of the platform here in a moment. Uh, Ryan is the co-founder and chief technology officer for Osmosis. Ryan is a second-year uh, medical student at Johns Hopkins and has a PhD in neuroscience from Cambridge. Rishi is a pediatric infectious disease specialist currently at Stanford who previously led Khan Academy Medicine and served as an epidemiologic intelligence service officer at the Centers for Disease Control. Those are pretty cool backgrounds, guys. You've had exciting careers thus far. Thank you. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> well, thanks for taking the time to be on the show. The first thing we're going to do is our question of the day, and this one is pulled from the Osmosis Q Bank. So I'll go ahead and read this here. The vignette is a four-year-old girl with a corrected aortic stenosis comes to the oncologist for a follow-up visit for acute lymphoblastic lymphoma. She initiated chemotherapy a week before through a peripherally inserted central line. She reports being tired all the time and has been bruising easily. 
Physical examination shows several tender non-blanching petechiae on the pads of the fingers and toes, several dark non-tender petechiae on her palms and soles, and small linear hemorrhages beneath her fingernails. Fundoscopic examination shows several tiny areas of hemorrhage on the retina bilaterally. Cardiac examination is notable for a 2 out of 6 systolic ejection murmur that seems to have worsened in comparison to the last visit. Which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? A. Acute rheumatic fever. B. Bleeding diathesis secondary to thrombocytopenia. C. Dilated cardiomyopathy. D. Hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Or E. Infective endocarditis. You might want to pause the podcast for a moment to think about that. And the answer is E, infective endocarditis. Rishi, you are the pediatric infectious disease specialist, but at one point you were a medical student. If you were approaching this question uh, on your boards, how would you be thinking through it? Thanks for that intro. So, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Thinking about it through a med student's lens, you know, you have a four-year-old, so you have a child, corrected aortic stenosis. The key word is corrected. So you immediately want to hone in on the fact that there's been some surgical manipulation of that valve. Uh, comes to the oncologist for a follow-up visit of ALL. So you're thinking, okay, maybe this person's immunocompromised, you know, maybe thinking about those kinds of things. She initiated chemotherapy a week before through a peripherally inserted central line. So now they're kind of talking about vascular access, what foreign bodies are inside that person's uh, blood vessels. And then here's where it gets into the meat of it. She reports being tired all the time and has been bruising easily. So bruising easily is starting to get you thinking about maybe a, a distractor option, which is B, the thrombocytopenia. Uh, but, the, but the tired all the time, it's really getting to uh, kind of a chronic fatigue, which is one of the classic symptoms you get with infective endocarditis. Uh, usually you might think, oh, if it's an infection, you have to have a fever. And you, you might scan this and say, well, there's no fever, so I can cross off infections. Um, but that's, that's just not true, right? So in this case, that's one of the things I want to kind of point out. And then it goes right literally verbatim through all the classic physical exam findings of infective endocarditis. So, so if none of that kind of teed you up, this next kind of two sentences from physical exam to fundoscopic exam really walks you through all the classic findings of, of endocarditis. Uh, the sentence after that, cardiac examination is notable for two out of six systolic ejection murmur. So far, so good. That seems to have worsened. That part is the key. Seems to have worsened. Your, your cardiac exam should not worsen, uh, you know, in any kind of uh, normal situation. So if it's changing, there's something that's causing that change in what you're hearing. And so the, the keys that I think a really, really high level student would pick up is the corrected aortic stenosis and the exam seems to have worsened. And then just kind of giving it away is the physical exam, the phonoscopic. That should just kind of confirm your diagnosis. So which is most likely the answer is E, infective endocarditis. And and again, it's usually a pretty indolent infection. It's also a biofilm infection, which a lot of people don't really appreciate, which is why you have to treat it for so long, which doesn't get into kind of this question, but in general, endocarditis, you know, often kind of gets into the biofilm nature of it. It's one of the unique features of endocarditis. So those are, those are the key spots. And then, of course, the explanation walks you through what is exactly an ocular node, what is a rot spot, uh, a Janeway lesion, because of course, uh, a stem is never going to say, oh, Janeway lesions were noted or... Osler's nodes were noted. They're going to give the description. So it's just good to kind of know what the descriptions are for those kind of eponyms. And, and they're laid out in the, in the explanation. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's probably important to just kind of review. So Osler nodes are the painful petechiae uh, that occur on the fingertips. The Janeway lesions are the non-tender petechiae that occur on the hands and uh, palms and soles. And uh, Roth spots are pinpoint retinal hemorrhages. I think also it's it's probably important to note that this is uh, more like a a step two or perhaps a peds uh, shelf exam uh, level question. So for a step one level student, a preclinical student, what are some organisms especially that that would be causing a clinical picture like this? Yeah, that's a great question. So in fact, for step one, uh, students that might be listening out there, we actually have a great video on endocarditis uh, as well that kind of goes through those organisms. But usually we think of kind of um, walking through it. The most common ones are Staph aureus and Verdan streptococcus. And there's a, a really nice kind of way to divide those up in terms of remembering what is what. Um, virulent Staph aureus is more virulent. It's a bug that's found on the skin usually will damage uh, healthy valves, but also can damage damaged valves. Vegetations are large and the valve is usually destroyed. Uh, Viridans streptococcus, in contrast, is usually low virulence. Uh, It's a bug that's found in the mouth. It usually attacks previously damaged valves with small vegetations, and it doesn't typically destroy the valve. So those are the two classic ones that we always have to kind of compare and contrast. And then if any, any question gets into you know, a prosthetic valve or any sort of like um, any sort of instrumentation of the valve, Gore-Tex material or something like that, then you got to think about staph epidermis. So that's uh, classically going to infect any sort of um, fake material, to put it simply. And and then there are some kind of weirdo bugs like Hasek organisms, Coxiella, Anarchococcus fecalis, Streptococcus bovis. You know, there, there are a number of those kinds of organisms as well. But but the two biggies are, are definitely Verdan Streptococcus and uh, Staph aureus. Awesome. And then before we move on, just to focus on this learning, since we have your expertise here, why not acute rheumatic fever? That was distractor uh, number one, choice A. What about this question leads you away from it? You know, acute rheumatic fever, usually you're going to be thinking about a situation where they're going to almost always give you the key clinical finding, which is painful migratory polyarthritis. So so a person that complains of joints that are hurting, uh, this week it's the left shoulder, next week it's the right hip, then it's the knee. That's classically the symptom that most of these vignettes with acute rheumatic fever are going to present with, because that's almost always one of the key findings with acute rheumatic fever. So if you're not getting that sort of story, um, already you should be thinking, I don't think it's that. Also, they almost always give you some sort of a lag, a time lag between when there's this initial kind of sore throat or, or sometimes you don't even get that. You get kind of a wasn't feeling well a few weeks ago. And then a few weeks later, you get, you know, all these symptoms kind of came on. So if you're not getting a time lag and you're not getting these migratory polyarthritis type type symptoms, it's unlikely to be acute rheumatic fever. And, and truth be told, you know, I see a lot of patients with, with infective endocarditis. I've seen a few patients that come in with uh, rheumatic fever. Usually that's actually less and less common in the U.S. because we give uh, antibiotics for, for strep throat so commonly. But, but even in those cases, almost always you get those two, those two features. And then uh, I guess looking at choice B, which was a bleeding diathesis secondary to thrombocytopenia, I guess what would lead me away from choosing B as a distractor if, if I were stuck in going through a process of elimination would be the fact that the only truly supportive finding with or 
pertinent positive within the vignette that uh, leads one to think something like thrombocytopenia would be the petechia that are mentioned. Aside from that, there isn't any mention of of the platelet count, which makes sense. The question would be way too easy if they just included thrombocytopenic platelet uh, levels, as well as the fact that everything else points to a different diagnosis as the, quote, single best answer, which is 90% of board exam questions um, that, that you'll see as a medical student. Dilated cardiomyopathy, I guess that that can almost be excluded for the fact that it's not really a childhood disease, correct? Yeah, with with thrombocytopenia, also in the second sentence uh, or the third sentence says has been bruising easily. The petechia that you mentioned in the hemorrhages. Yeah, I think oh, what yeah. they're going for is I think they're just trying to catch people that are scanning and not reading. And if you're literally scanning the question and you see these kind of keywords like bruising, petechia, hemorrhages, hemorrhages, you might think, oh, okay, look, I've got two minutes left in this question. I just got to pick something that sounds good. With with the cardiomyopathy, I think it's kind of the same thing where a lot of people that are kind of gaming the the test might notice that cardiomyopathy comes up twice. It's option C and D, uh, different types. You might think, oh, they're trying to get me to pick one of these five options. Two are kind of similar sounding. It's got to be one of those two. And so it's it's also kind of uh, tempting to go for one of those. But but you're right. Nothing about this vignette really speaks to dilated cardiomyopathy, which is usually kind of someone in the 30s and 40s. Hypertrophic, maybe you might think, oh, it's a child, something with the heart. You know, I know that young athletes get hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. It's it's a stretch. But, you know, maybe that could be how they might be catching some people that might go that way. Um, There's really nothing about this that speaks to hypertrophic or dilated. All right, perfect. So, uh, Ryan, you're the the neuroscientist and a medical student. So, how does osmosis help prevent uh, the sort of test wise errors you might call them that Rishi mentioned? Like people who would be, for instance, more likely to pick the choice B, which was a bleeding diathesis secondary to thrombocytopenia, might be just scanning the vignette. How should a student train themselves to avoid making errors of that kind? Does that make sense as a question? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the simple answer to that is is practice. Um, and I think one of the problems in med school is you're so busy and things are thrown at you so quickly um, that you forget that you actually need to have the time to practice those higher order integrations, you know. Um, and so that's one of the things that we found when we first built osmosis. I mean, the reason we built osmosis is right out of anatomy. You know, we were two months into med school. Um, Shiv asked me a question, what nerve innervates the anterior compartment of the leg? And we had been in biochemistry uh, for maybe two weeks. So we were just a little bit away from anatomy. And I couldn't remember. So just, you know, now, now that I've been through two years, it's kind of like, well, there's a ton of facts. And of course, you're not going to remember every single thing. Um, But just coming right out of anatomy at that point was kind of horrifying because two weeks before, if you'd asked me every single, you know, innervation, arterial supply would have been on the tip of my tongue. And so I said, you know, if if we're forgetting this quickly, then we need something to stop us um, from doing that. So, you know, one of the neuroscientific principles or one of the neuropsychology techniques that we use is something called spaced repetition. Um, So that's just spacing out individual factoids, like what nerve innervates this compartment, um, you know what types of hemorrhages are associated with infective endocarditis. Um, so you space that, those out over time so you don't remember the basic facts. 
And the reason, you know, obviously there's a lot of tools out there that can help you do spaced repetition. The reason we built Osmosis while we were in med school was we wanted to be able to share our spaced repetition decks with people, but we wanted to know who was writing what. Um, so we basically created a system where you could upload and view the PowerPoints, the lecture documents that you're given from your professors, and then people could come in and, and write questions, and you could see when other people had written flashcards. So you knew, okay, I don't need to cover this. I can use someone else's flashcards because... Um, they've written good ones in the past, and I, I trust that. So you kind of divide up the work. But after a while, um, we realized you know, one of the cool things is we've created um, this giant, um, essentially, database of all the lecture material. Why don't we start applying machine learning algorithms to this and start recommending things like videos and board-style questions and other resources like that? And so that's kind of over the last few years how Osmosis has evolved from this kind of crowdsourcing platform that each school can use to create their own bank of, of space repetition cards to something that really leads you through. And so that kind of get, gets back to your original question. You know, as a student who is kind of overwhelmed, just trying to take it step by step, just making sure to get past that next test, what Osmosis can let you do is not only will it recommend flashcards, but it recommends the board style questions that are related to those flashcards. So once you've mastered a set of flashcards, then you should be in a position to take those longer case-based questions, which honestly a lot of people are, are afraid to take early on because I've heard people say things like, I don't want to waste my questions before I'm prepared to study for them. Yeah. Well, Osmosis knows when you're prepared. And so Osmosis can kind of let you flow into that um, into that routine. And actually, you know, even even though I, I know all these like basic principles of, you know, like what Rishi was saying, you know, on the board questions, they're going to ask, they're going to spell out things rather than just say like, oh, you know, like splinter hemorrhages. They're not going to give you those key words that you memorize from first aid. Um, I remember just in particular, like I had mastered the, uh, the glycogen storage disorders, you know, and I'd gotten through, you know, like Gaucher's disease, all these kinds of things. And, and I read a question and I knew every single fact that was associated with it. And I, I read a question and for some reason, my brain didn't put together that all of the blood counts were low. And so pancytopenia didn't jump out as a word. If it had, I would have been like, oh, pancytopenia, that, that fits. But I couldn't distinguish from the other uh, related diseases. And so that was one of those realization moments of, you know, we always knew that. But when I when I saw it and did it myself, I was like, wow, this really helps to as soon as you're done with those flashcards to answer the board style questions to challenge yourself to take that next step. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. So you have essentially, you said machine learning, analyze people's study patterns and essentially their knowledge. So you guys are, have been called the Netflix of medical learning, essentially, but you're not saying you're also like the Skynet of medical learning, are you? <laughs> Hopefully not the Skynet. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's uh, talk a little bit about where you guys trained and, and how how did you approach board study and uh, what's your educational background? Yeah, I went to UCSF for medical school and I was there. I started in 2000 and I finished in 2004. And in those four years, it's so embarrassing to even say this because I guess it makes me feel old. But, you know, we, we had very different tools then. Right. So we used but but actually one tool was the same. We actually still use first aid. Tao Lee, uh, who still runs first aid, uh, was a graduate of UCSF and he had come out of UCSF just a few years previous to that. Um, so I'm not even sure how popular it was nationally at the time. But at UCSF, that was kind of a mainstay for people. And we all used it, and it was um, it was great. It was a fantastic tool. It was it was definitely one of the things that I used. The other was Kaplan QBank, and at that time, Kaplan QBank was the bank. It was kind of the equivalent of what you might call UWorld today, right? And and if you asked anyone, you know, can you ever imagine Kaplan QBank um, 
not being the mainstay, you'd be you'd be laughed at, right? Because that's all that we we knew. And here we are, you know, 15 years later, and and probably a minority of people use that um, as opposed to your world. So that's what I used, and I basically just did lots and lots of questions. I really um, struggled with one area in particular. In fact, when I was a med student, I I failed my uh, renal exam, my renal pathophys exam. And, you know, it's like, it's devastating for someone with a very fragile ego to, to fail. And so like all medical students, essentially, (laughs) to a certain, to a certain degree. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it sucks. And it's embarrassing. You don't want to tell your friends that you, you failed it. And we're on a pass, no pass system. So it actually mattered very little. But even then, I was really devastated. And so, you know, mentally, it was kind of like, oh, my gosh, you know, what am I doing here, etc. But, um, but the reason I mentioned that is that then, you know, fast forward by one year after I failed that exam, one year later, I was studying for the boards. And that became kind of a motivator for me, because I, I vowed that I would do better on renal than on any other subject that was backed up by nothing that was just kind of an empty promise i made to myself but i i made that promise and so i studied really hard i cared a lot about renal and i wanted to understand it to a really deep level and i wanted to not just memorize first aid um, i wanted to understand renal so that i could explain it to people and maybe even teach people renal and that's really what motivated me to do um to do well in renal and then, and then kind of carry that forward. I tried to apply those same kind of um, principles to other, other subject areas as well. But that's basically how I studied. I just really tried to understand things uh, to a deep level. I prepared for three solid weeks right before the test where I did nothing but kind of live, breathe, USMLE, you know, like a lot of people do. And, and in the months prior to that, I did a little bit of studying, but not a whole heck of a lot. And that is probably the one thing I wish I had done differently. And I wish I had actually uh, studied more than just three weeks of cramming, but that's what I did. And I mean, that's a, a good segue into really what your platform uh, is trying to do. I I saw on your website, one of the taglines was, was it don't learn it, osmos it. And essentially, I think you're trying to capture the idea that cramming is not an effective method of long-term learning. And can you speak to that at all, uh, Ryan? Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, that, that that's pretty close to the tagline. It's it's don't study it, no osmosis. Um, yeah, and so so the idea is that that learning is a as kind of a phenomenon that's separate from what you would traditionally think of in the terms of the studying environment. You know, I sit down in the library. You know, I reread a textbook. I highlight, and and you're studying when you're doing that. Um, the question is, are you learning? And so that's something that often students miss. Um, so you know. Back when I was I was doing my PhD, I was very interested in decision making and learning and memory, all these kinds of things around cognitive science. Um, so when, when I got to medical school, um, I did have a slightly different take on it. So I saw a lot of my friends who were coming straight from college try to apply what they did in college to to try to learn, um, which again was was a lot of highlighting and things like that. And while something like highlighting tends to be still, I mean, a lot of papers have been published that have shown it's it's the most popular study technique. It's actually one of the the least efficient. Part of the problem is when your brain sees something and it recognizes, it reassures you and tells you, oh yeah, I, I know that. And on a simple test or on a, on a multiple choice test, you can often get by by just recognition. But on a test that's that's asking something a little bit more like the boards, um, where you're having to integrate something, you know, take it two steps rather than just that one recall step, then it becomes much more difficult. So that's kind of the difference between actual recall and recognition. 
Um, and so, you know, again, that's one of the things that osmosis tries to, to help you do early on. So in addition to space repetition, there's something just called the testing effect, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's that if you test yourself more and try to force yourself to recall things, that's going to be a far more efficient study technique than just rereading your notes or, or just highlighting a textbook. So the best thing you can do is, is generate a lot of study flashcards or questions that let you do test yourself. And some people will do that just all by themselves, creating a ton of note cards, or some will share um, share different flashcard decks and things like that. But again, that's what Osmosis tries to help people do is, you know, you could have three or four friends, um, and we actually have a sign-up feature on, on the lectures where you can sign up, and, and basically it's signaling to your other friends, I'm signing up for this lecture, you don't really have to create all the flashcards for it because I'm going to. And then if you've done that with four friends, you've cut your workload by a quarter, and then you're just testing yourself constantly. Um, and honestly, the night before the test, when I used to do this uh, in, in med school with osmosis, I would literally, there's this, uh, it's actually our, our logo is our scoreboard. So the, the outer circle is, you want to get it as green as possible. That means that you've, you've gotten everything correct. So I would get to the end of a string of like 400 questions that, you know, I'd probably written, you know, 50 or 70. My classmates had written the others. I would just go through that and get to the end and just grab the red segment, select that and, and repeat and I would just do that until I, I had mastered every single one of those questions. And it turns out, you know, because a lot of the times uh, professors will emphasize certain things would be on the exam. One of the great things about that was um, sometimes we would literally almost see the question that a classmate had written, um, not even something that had been in slides or anything like that, but was just emphasized. And it was like they would they would take a picture off of one of the slides, put that into a question and boom, you would you would literally see what is this, you know, histology? And I, I would be like, I answered that question last night on osmosis. So it was a really efficient way of making sure we had covered 100% of the material in class. But again, you know, once we once we got, you know, a little bit removed from that, and we weren't as focused on passing our, our class exams and started thinking about boards, that's when we integrated the extra layer in of uh, recommending board style resources and things like that to help not just, you know, pass your class exams, but to think about the, the deeper concepts around medicine and really learn medical pathophysiology. Walk me through this. Let's say I uh, just started uh, first year of medical school. It's the 2nd of October, so maybe I'm a couple months in, and I'm just now hearing about osmosis. What, what do I do to start using it to help me learn and help me remember and help me do well in classes on the, and on the boards? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'd say the best advice is there's a lot of, of resources and a lot of material on osmosis. And I think one of the challenges that some people run into is that they get overwhelmed because they try to use it all. And I would say pick the one or two things that fit already with your study schedule and, and just do those. I mean, so for example, because you can upload lecture documents, if you're used to just highlighting and annotating the documents, you can do that on Osmosis. You can do that in the mobile app. So just start with that. And then one of the things that on the web platform you can do is when you're highlighting uh, things, Osmosis annotates the margins for you. So if infective endocarditis shows up, that's automatically tagged and in the margin. And if you click on infective endocarditis, it'll pop up with our video on endocarditis and a summary and tell you where to find it in first aid, all that kind of stuff. So start with what you already know. If you, if you, create a lot of flashcards, you can create flashcards right next to the lecture slides. And then when you take a quiz on those flashcards, the lecture slide is cross-referenced. So when you when you flip the card, you'll see the slide right there, and then you can click on it and go right back to it if you want to review that part of the lecture. So it's stuff that you're used to, but then you start building on top of that. You know, you start clicking on the margin notes, watching videos, and eventually, you know, let's say you get to the end of the week, you feel like you've mastered all your flashcards, there's a quick option where you can click 
board style questions, and then you're switched into that mode. And so you're doing things at a higher level than you normally would do. If I go to osmosis.org, I can sign up for a free trial, right? Yep. And I also noticed that you guys have Osmosis Prime. I mean, you're doing a lot. If I'm a first year student, what would be my starting point? What should I go to? Just create an account and upload my lecture notes or put in my course schedule? What would you do? Um, I mean, so the first thing you can do just to get a feel for a couple of the things that it can do, um, create an account. The first thing you'll see um, is the ability to just upload lecture a lecture document, and it'll give you a really simple analysis of what's in this document. And uh, it, it'll give you the ability to take a quiz on that document and to, uh, you know, like I was saying, look at videos for, for whatever is in it, things like that. Um, if you want to, you know, again, take that next step and start using this as a study resource where you can, you know, highlight, take notes, create flashcards, all the things I was talking about before, um, you basically create a group, which a group can either be one person, it can be a private group with just you, or it can be a group you can invite your classmates to, um, and then you guys can collaborate. So that's kind of the next level of doing it. And there's a lot of tutorial videos on Osmosis once you get there. Um, so definitely like take a look at a couple of those things just to get a feel for it. But like I said, it's it's got a lot of things that are available. So the first time you see it, it can be a little bit overwhelming. But after you after you get the hang of it, it's completely intuitive. And also, you know, I, I will add this where there's a question mark chat in the bottom right corner. We're always talking to people, um, telling them, you know, ways they can study better ways they can use osmosis more effectively. So if at any point you have a question about, you know, am I getting the most out of this? Am I using osmosis the right way? Um, you know, just just chat with us and it'll be it'll be one of us, Rishi or me or one of the other uh, people on the team that will talk to you. Oh, really? So when I signed in, I saw Rishi, your um, name pop up in the lower right hand corner. So that's really you. That's really me. And if you want to test it, you can go ahead and say hello. All right, I will. <laughs> Oh, wow. So quick. <laughs> um, that's awesome. That's that's really a, a great service. So let's talk about the integrations. So I was just going through your platform and I was like, well, I want to learn something about Lyme disease. So I clicked on that and wanted to do like a quiz on, on uh, Borrelia burgdorferi. And in the explanation, I, I saw a picture of Avril Lavigne. My guess is that has something to do with some neuroscientific learning principles. Am I right? Okay, let's hear that. Sure. So there's actually something in, in psychology called the Baker-Baker the paradox. Um, and I'll just kind of briefly say what that is. A few years ago, they did an experiment where they took two groups of people. And one group, they showed a picture of a man and they said, this man's name is Mr. Baker. They told a story about him. Um, and then they showed another group, uh, the same picture, and said, this person is a baker and told a story about him. Two weeks later, they tested both groups, and they asked a series of questions. One of those was, what was the man's name for the first group? And then the other group was, what does this man do? Uh, most people couldn't remember his name. Almost everyone remembered what he did. Um, and so the question is, you know, it's, it's the same word. It's Baker. Why did one group remember it uh, more effectively? And so one of the hypotheses is that when you form more um, memory anchors around a particular concept, you're more likely to remember it. So when you hear someone is a baker, you're thinking of, you know, maybe the smell of your favorite baked good or the bakery you walk by on your way to work. Um, all of these associations that help you strengthen that memory. So the idea um, with a lot of our celebrity questions, and I would say it's probably about, you know, 10% or so, uh, you'll see a question that comes up that's talking about, okay, you know, an athlete presents 
with joint arthralgias and dry mouth and dry eyes and things like that. And it turns out that the patient is actually Venus Williams, who has Shorten syndrome, right? So and so now now you're not just associating, you know, this case of like, you know, arthralgias and dry mouth, all these different things. But it's like, oh, how does that actually affect her during the game? And there's actually some interviews that she's given where she talks about, you know, for years, doctors didn't integrate it all into one autoimmune syndrome. They saw it as different things. They thought she had tennis elbow and they thought other other things were going on. So it's just one of those interesting things. And now, you know, I can basically remember Shorgan syndrome and things like that based on on those types of vignettes. Um, and so we have quite a few that are that are like that. How up to date are those? You don't happen to have uh, any with uh, the current presidential c- candidates, do you? Just curious. There, I, yeah, I, there, there's... There's a video that I can show you. Um, (laughs) We will put that up on the uh, show notes page when this uh, goes live. Um, So memory anchors. All right. So that's that's one integration, I guess. You've got some celebrity questions to help really solidify uh, knowledge. And on that same question, I clicked on Lyme disease and the page showed me uh, the Picmonic and Picmonic, uh, they're friends of ours. Uh, Deal Yang has been on the uh, the program here. And uh, so you're in- you have the ability to be integrated with Picmonic as well. The listeners might know is a, is a great visual, uh, audiovisual learning uh, mnemonic system. What else uh, or who else are you guys working with to provide access to all the resources that students might have available to them? in order to help them study. Yeah, and so uh, you know, we mentioned earlier, um, obviously the first aid references um, yeah. are down there at the bottom. We're in the next probably, it'll probably be this month actually, um, we're going to have a sketchy medical integration as well. So a lot of people who have used Pygmonic probably also use sketchy. And again, that's that's a perfect example of Baker Baker paradox. I mean, essentially those platforms are based on memory palaces, creating all these associations. Um, so we're a big fan of, of that kind of, of memory intervention. And so, and I guess the, the other thing um, is uh, celebrity diagnosis. So it's actually a, uh, a website run by a husband and wife who write about different celebrity cases. And so, you know, there's things like Mitt Romney's wife had multiple sclerosis, for example. And so there's an article about that. It briefly talks, it has like, the, you know, the first paragraph is kind of a vignette talking about it, or what her presentation might have looked like. The rest talks about multiple sclerosis. So there are lots of different things that kind of uh, help you make different associations. A lot of times um, the the article is, is really helpful to, to make a demographic association because you know, the things that you have to learn, like, oh, this is more prevalent in um, women between ages 40 and 60, and this is more prevalent in men and things like that. And one of the great things is when the first thing that pops into your head when you're thinking about someone who had this is a celebrity, you you have all the, the demographic associations right there automatically for you. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, it, I guess it can double for helping you keep up on your celebrity news too when you're so busy <laughs> yeah, exactly. in medical school to to get on your social media feeds. <laughs> right. So when you talk to your normal friends, you don't seem completely out of the loop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're not in med school. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I mean, one of the things that I hear from my friends who are physicians is that like once you see a case, you'll you'll remember it for life. Like, like I don't yeah. have to sit here and try to memorize endocarditis, right? Like I can remember like that girl that I saw, you know, who had it. And I remember talking to her parents about it. When you're a med student, you don't really have that, right? Like you don't really get a bunch of patients that, that you get to kind of uh, assign to different diseases. You're just learning diseases in a vacuum. 
So by doing the celebrity diagnoses and, and the clinical videos that we have on the site, the, the patient diagnosis where the patient actually tells their story, you're basically doing the same thing, right? Like you're attaching a real life human being to a disease. And by doing that, it's a very powerful association because it's it's not just tapping into the cognitive aspects of it, but the very emotive aspects of it, the emotional aspects of it. And, and we know that helps you remember things for much longer. So there's a very logical reason for doing it. And, and this is a very healthy way of doing it because you, you already know kind of the, the story of Venus Williams or the story of, you know, um, of athletes or, or, or film stars. So just adding one more piece of knowledge onto that existing paradigm is, is fairly easy to do. Yeah, I think it's interesting too, Ryan, you mentioned memory palaces. That concept, uh, so far as I know, goes back all the way to the medievals. And uh, I know Thomas Aquinas um, himself used uh, the, the concept of a, a memory palace to to help memorize vast swaths of, of um, text because books weren't too popular back then. I wonder why medical education seems to just be rediscovering a concept that perhaps has been known to to us as as people for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I think it's not just medical education. I think it's all of education because you know. So, for example, spaced repetition was discovered in 1890s by a German psychologist uh, named Ebbinghaus. It's been a hundred years, and even you know, I would say the 80s and the 90s were really a time when there was software available that could model these forgetting curves for you and, and tell you when to repeat something. It's still just now in the last few years beginning to catch on. So I think in, in general, well, one of the things that we first realized, both Shiv, uh, my co-founder, and I have backgrounds in doing a lot of scientific research. So the first thing we did was a literature review, you know, how to, how to learn better, all this kind of stuff. And what we realized is that there's a huge disconnect between how we teach and how we study and, and how we, what we know about what the brain actually needs to do in order to learn. Because I think people, one of the things that, that, that people forget is that the brain has you know, evolved over thousands of years to figure out what's important, what you need to know to survive in your environment, and what's not important and what you need to cull. Um, and if we didn't do that, our brains would just get filled with random noise, right? So just sitting down and reading something once, uh, your brain just stores it in a very kind of short-term format, uh, for lack of, of, of a better word. When we repeat it over a long period of time, eventually the brain says, okay, you know, this is... This is actually something that's worthwhile holding on to. But you can't consciously do that. It's just like breathing or, or reflex. It's something that is just programmed into us. And there's no way you're going to be able to force that knowledge into your head. Um, so these things like memory palaces and, and space repetition are all just ways of, of kind of hacking the system that exists in our brain for encoding information over a long period of time. We're now beginning to appreciate that more and more. But still, most people, I, it's, it's a term I hear or a phrase I hear a lot from students. I know how I learn. I know the best way to, for me to study. Chances are you've actually found your local optimum. You found something that does work for you. But med school is going to push you so hard that 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 local optimum may not be good enough anymore. So it may be time to look for um, for more effective ways. That's essentially what Osmosis tries to help do. You guys have a free service and a premium plan. What are the differences? So the main difference is, um, so we have open osmosis. Um, and right now, our, our big push with open osmosis is to basically create videos that are very visual, very easy to understand and digest, um, and have those be free. So it's essentially a free medical curriculum. So we have actually have a lot of partners around the world that are promoting global health. And so that was one of the reasons um, that we started doing this. And that's one of the reasons that Rishi actually joined us from, from Khan Academy, because 
Um, we essentially have that open and social mission. The the things that are premium tend to be the things that um, add convenience. Um, you know, the automated recommendations, things like that. You know, bringing in board style questions right when you need them, when you have when you upload your lecture documents and things like that. But even even then, you can still take notes and create your own flashcards completely for free on Osmosis, and you keep those forever. Um, so that's that's not a part of the the premium service. So there's there's a lot there for for everyone. Even if you're at this point, you know, you're not ready to uh, to pay for the premium version. There's a lot you can use that's just free. But yeah, once once you if you if you feel like you can, you know, especially you know, organize a school discount or something like that. Um, because every every bit we get helps support all of those free initiatives, like creating free videos and things like that. So we definitely appreciate all the support we get from students. Yeah, so just looking at open.osmosis.org, um, I see on the uh, splash screen there are uh, a bunch of videos from Zika virus to uh, jaundice, Wilson's disease. How many uh, videos roughly do you have within that platform, the open osmosis? If, if you go to the green button that says browse all open osmosis videos, it'll take you to our YouTube page. Oh, perfect. So they're just all hosted there. They are, yeah. And, and this is kind of... You know, it's done this way to to take away any sort of sense of uh, a black curtain that you can't peek behind them. It's pretty pretty transparent. Yeah. Um. You can look at our playlists, and you can see, for example, I'll just direct you to just because we're just doing endocarditis, might as well look at our cardiovascular playlist. Um. It's 40, headed off by endo- yeah, forty two yeah. videos, and if you just look at the titles, right, like AVRT, AVNRT, restrictive cardiomyopathy. Uh, rheumatic fever, which we talked about, long QT syndrome, VSDs, tetralogy. I mean, you know, point to a major cardiac disease, and and I'd be a little surprised if we didn't have a video for it. So, um, we have these videos in English. These videos, if you um, if you're free and have a minute, uh, if you're listening, go to Wikipedia and type in heart failure and see what Wikipedia offers you in heart failure. And I think you'll probably find one of our videos actually. But but here, there it is, right? Like so, right right below the image of. Um, a very a very strange looking person you have a uh, video explanation of heart failure so that's the idea is that all this stuff is is really kind of no strings attached it's free of charge it's in multiple languages and as ryan said you know it's it's hard these days to find anyone that's that's truly doing things for free that's pretty robust and so that's what this initiative is all about and you know, we allow all of the people that are subscribers uh, to Osmosis that that pay, you know, little perks. You know, they can, for example, they can vote on upcoming videos. They can get a sneak peek on all of our videos. They they have all these sort of extra premium advantages that then uh, offers us the opportunity to, to make this stuff and make it free, not just for, for U.S.-based students, but international uh, medical graduates, foreign medical graduates, students that are outside of the U.S. borders. We have a big partnership in South uh, in, in South Africa, for example, with a consortium of medical schools there. So really a lot of good work that's happening on the free side. But but all of that has to be sustainable. And that's why we have a platform that we think offers really, really a lot of value uh, for, for, for students. And not only videos in at the open.osmosis.org site, but you also have a database of like 5,000 uh, multiple choice questions in board style format, correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you just, yeah, you scroll like maybe another inch or two down and then there's open osmosis question database, right? So you go into that and then you get questions. Um, and this was made in partnership with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. So RWJF has a, has a mission to kind of create parity um, to get uh, people from all, all walks of life a chance to, to join uh, the health sciences. And so one of their efforts was to, to sponsor us in doing this. We actually partnered with over 100 question writers and editors and reviewers to do this. 
uh, many of them faculty, uh, residents, fellows, uh, and students to create questions that um, that are basically at a level of uh, USMLE. And, and now we're kind of going through them and, and again, kind of doing another pass through these questions to make sure that they're tip top. So, you know, these questions have images, x-rays, uh, derm images, all sorts of stuff that you will see on the boards. And the big kicker is that they're free. And, and again, there's no kind of strings attached. It's, it's, as you can see, it's right here. You don't have to do anything to access them. Yeah. And, and I will say just as somebody who's written questions for like three question banks in the past, these are like high quality. So I think uh, students should definitely support this initiative because there's a lot of like really high yield material here that you can just open up on your, uh, phone's browser and and maybe you're watching your attending write a note for some god-awful period of time um, you can turn that into something productive for free all right so if i'm a medical student i'm like i've got three hundred dollars budgeted i want to buy one year of some board review educational platform why should i get osmosis over anything else that's offered yeah, so I mean, to begin with, you know, make sure make sure to contact us to ask about a discount or do a, a you know a, a school bulk discount because we we do that quite often. We do webinars so that people understand really how to use the platform. So it's best to kind of you know like reach out to us and and talk to us when you're when you're interested in osmosis. The main reason I you know for me is that it integrates everything into one place um, and it just makes it super convenient. Um, even if you're just using it as a as an annotation flashcard or highlighting tool, just having everything one mouse click away is pretty powerful. It definitely speeds you up. Um, but then once you start getting into the the features even even more and start answering board style questions, start getting videos kind of at the right time, that's that's when you really start to see um, just how, how this goes above and beyond a lot of the other things that are out there right now. Again, thanks so much for your time. I don't want to take too much more of it, but um, I think every every listener should go to osmosis.org and check out um, everything you guys do have to offer. And thank you uh, for one listener. This episode's contest, you guys have offered six months of a uh, premium subscription to your platform. Um, so I will put details of that on the, sh- on the show's webpage. If you see Osmosis and you think it's really cool and you want to be involved in some of the stuff um, we're doing, definitely reach out to us um, because uh, we we're, we constantly work with students and we it's it's been really amazing actually the the number of people we've been able to work with students and um, and physicians too um, and residents just just across the board. Um, so just you know drop us a line hi at osmosis.org. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks. Good talking to you. Bye, Patrick. This episode's music is brought to you by Hopeless Records. That's hopelessrecords.com. The tune is Parachute off the Dangerous Summer's album War Paint. The Dangerous Summer completed their run as a band in 2013, but you should look up AJ Perdomo. That's at AJ Perdomo, P-E-R-D-O-M-O, on Twitter. He's an incredibly incisive lyricist, an active tweeter, and still involved in making music. Well worth listening to all of the Dangerous Summer's past albums, as well as some of the work that AJ has done on the side. So thanks, Hopeless Records, for giving us permission to use this song. Inside the Boards is in no way affiliated with the United States Medical Licensing Examination, Comprehensive Osteopathic Medical License Examination, National Board of Medical Examiners, the National Council of State Boards of Nursing, National Board of Osteopathic Medical Examiners, or any other licensing or examination body. 
All exam names and other trademarks are the property of the respective trademark owners. Content discussed during the program is the property of inside the boards or the attributed trademark owner and may not be reproduced without permission from the appropriate entity. Inside the Boards fully adheres to the respective policies on irregular behavior outlined by the aforementioned credentialing bodies.